In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, every Maundy Thursday, the service concludes with the stripping of the altar. That's when we remove all of the pyramids, the candles and crosses and so forth. And we do it to prepare the church for Good Friday when Christ is stripped of his clothing and his life. Now, during this time, uh, we can't have the full Monday Thursday liturgy as we've had in years past. Yesterday, though, at our various Monday Thursday services, the altar was not stripped, but it was already bare at the beginning of the service. Now, it's a striking reminder. The stripping of the altar is a striking reminder of what's going on today for Good Friday. But the most important part of that ceremony in the service is not what you see, the stripping of the altar. The most important part of that ceremony is the speaking or the chanting of the 22nd Psalm while it's happening. We read or sing that Psalm while all of it is happening. And yesterday at each one of the six services, uh, we ended in that very same way with Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22 is the most important of all the Psalms in the Bible. It's not my opinion. It's not my subjective taste or just some idea that I came up with. Psalm 22 is the most important of all the Psalms. In fact, Christians throughout history have referred to this Psalm as the fifth gospel. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and now Psalm 22, which all reveal to us Christ in the most intimate detail. Now, it's true that David wrote uh, Psalm 22, but he wrote it in such a way, and he wrote it in the same way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote their Gospels. But all that these Gospel writers were doing was giving an account of the life and the words of Jesus. They were all writing and recording something that has happened. Now, David, who writes Psalm 22, is just doing the same thing. However, he is just writing down and recording something that will happen. He's writing down what will happen in the life of Christ, and he's doing it hundreds of years before it happened, and that's because he's a prophet. God gave him the ability to know what will happen before it happened. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write about what was witnessed and seen, but Psalm 22 is different. This psalm doesn't just tell us what's going on on the outside of Jesus, what's happening to him. This psalm tells us what is going on inside of Jesus, what is happening inside of his mind, inside of his soul. This psalm is the very prayers and thoughts of Jesus while he was on the cross. Here we see what is happening internally within the Lord while he suffers there upon the cross. The Holy Spirit reveals this and causes it to be written down by David. And here, God gives us information in this psalm about the crucifixion of Jesus that we don't have anywhere else in all of the Bible. We don't even have this in the Gospels. This psalm begins by recording for us the entire prayer the Lord spoke from the cross when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus spoke these words out loud and the gospel writers recorded it. But then, then the rest of this psalm is the words of Jesus that he was speaking 
internally, that he is praying silently after praying those first words out loud. The rest of the psalm is what we see happen inside of Christ. Now, you you can imagine this. You're standing at the foot of the cross and you hear Jesus cry out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then you just zoom in into his mind. You go into inside of his heart and that's when you hear the rest of this psalm. Now, if you haven't read Psalm 22 or if you didn't really pay attention when you heard it, stop the sermon and then go and read it now or do whatever you need to. Read the entire psalm and pay attention to the words. And if you have read it and you did pay attention to it, then you're going to see this. You're going to see, you're going to remember that in this psalm, the entire psalm, the first two-thirds of the psalm are very, very dark. You hear Jesus' thoughts and prayers. You hear him say the words uh, to himself. Uh, You hear him say the words out loud, why have you forsaken me? And then you hear him say to himself, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. I am a worm and not a man. And then he says, there's none to help. And he says, I'm poured out like water. And then he says, "I I can count all of my bones. And he says, they divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots and so on and so forth. This is all so dark and very hopeless. Now, this is what is so gut-wrenching. Jesus is praying to the Father, saying, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. And Jesus says, Lord, do not be far. Don't be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. And what's gut-wrenching is that no one hears him. When Jesus is praying this, no one hears him. No one is listening. Not even God the Father during this moment. He says these words in complete and total isolation. He speaks these words when he is abandoned, when he is forsaken. He doesn't just feel lonely. He is actually, truly alone. He is suffering for the sins of the world alone with no one to help, no relief, and no comfort. And then, in the last part, the last third part of this psalm, something changes and it's astounding. It's such a stark contrast in the text. It goes from dark and hopeless and the most gut-wrenching of all words and moments to a moment of great relief and comfort to a moment of salvation. In verse 21, everything breaks and Jesus then says, you have answered me. And that needs to be noted. Before this, Before this verse, before these words, Jesus was only speaking hopeless words. But now from this point, from the rest of the verse, the rest of uh, of Psalm 22, he speaks words full of hope and joy. And you note this joy in his voice. His mouth is full of praise. In the first part, he endured it all alone with no one there to help him or hear him. But now you hear him speak of brothers, a congregation, of offspring, of families, of joy, of hope, and a future. And it's remarkable. And you can just see the joy beaming within the heart of Jesus. So what's going on here? What's going on in Psalm 22? What's going on to Jesus on the cross? Well, what you have here is this. On the cross, you have a time when Jesus is in utter horror and suffering the greatest pain and agony. 
And then you have a time, while he's still on the cross, when he is in complete peace and joy. And what happened is this. The crucifixion of Jesus took about six hours. It goes from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And now during the first three hours, you have Jesus endure a lot of physical torture and abuse. He's suffering an immense amount of pain. And yet during those first three hours, while he's still suffering in his body, you see that Jesus is able to forgive the soldiers. He spoke to John and his mother Mary from the cross. He spoke with the thief and converted him and promised him paradise, saying, Today you will be with me uh, forever uh, in, in paradise. He did all of these things in the first three hours. But you don't have anything like that in the last three. The three hours of darkness when the sky was darkened too. In fact, during that time, you only get one phrase, one sentence from Jesus. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And thus, the 22nd Psalm. And it's during these three hours that Jesus is now suffering something entirely different. During the first three hours, Jesus endured intense physical pain, emotional suffering, and psychological anguish. This is awful and painful. And in all of this, he was suffering at the hands of Pontius Pilate and the soldiers. But during these last three hours, he is now suffering at the hand of God. Those first three hours, he endured the hammer of the centurions, but these last three hours, he is enduring the hammer of God. And whatever pain he experienced in his body is now eclipsed by the profound pain and anguish of hell that he suffers in those last three. I can't even explain to you what this pain feels like. I can't even imagine it. We can know something to a degree of the physical pain Jesus endured, but we know nothing about the spiritual trauma he endured. He is suffering now in his soul. He was forsaken by God the Father. God pours out his anger from all of the sins of the world. Every single evil thing he sees and is angry with, he concentrates it and puts it all upon the head of Jesus, upon the spotless, innocent, perfect, and holy Lamb of God who was forgiving people with his dying breath. While he was struck and mocked and spit upon, Jesus was responding with love and kindness and grace and forgiveness. And what God does is he damns him, his only son on the cross. He abandons him. He forsakes him. He gives him up. And I know this all sounds terrible. And that's because it is. It is terrible. It is awful. What Jesus endures is something we have never endured, something we can't even imagine. We cannot even imagine the pain or the weight of that suffering. It's indescribable. Now, with all that being said, something changes while Jesus is still upon the cross. Before he dies, something changes. 
We don't know how much before he dies that this change happens, whether it's five or ten minutes before he dies, three minutes, who knows. But we do know that there is a significant change that takes place in the Lord. And so we know something changes at the end of those three hours when Jesus says these words, when he says, it is finished. Jesus is still on the cross and he says it is finished. It's, he's not talking about his physical life. He, he doesn't say it's almost finished or it will be finished. He says it is finished. Well, what is finished? What is finished is the wrath of God. And so this is the same thing we see in Psalm 22. Jesus says out loud, it is finished. And we assume that he prays now the rest of these words of Psalm 22 to the Father from the cross, starting with the words, you have answered me. And at that moment when Jesus said it is finished, it means that the penalty for all human sins, for all wickedness and guilt is now paid for. God's anger is now turned away from Christ and from us forever. And now because of what Jesus endured on the cross, God looks upon us and upon him with favor. And now, now that it is finished, now that Christ has done it, the Father looks upon him with favor while still upon that cross. With the deepest love and affection, the Father looks down upon his Son there on the cross and upon the world. The penalty for sin is now paid. The wrath of God is satisfied. Those three hours changed the world forever. Heaven has people in it because of what Jesus did in those three hours. We will rise from the dead and have eternal life because of what Jesus did in those three hours. He will wipe away every one of our tears and give us a weight of unending and undying glory and joy in the resurrection because of what he did in those three hours. We Christians are now brothers of Christ. We who were sinners and cast off are now brothers of Christ. Christ has become our brother and we have become sons of God the Father. And we will never, ever, for one moment, live any moment of our life, here or in eternity, without the Lord with us and for us. And this changes everything. And Jesus knows it. And this is why the very next words after he says this, after he says, it is finished. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He says it with an entirely different tone than before. And he says it with joy and with confidence, knowing that the Father is hearing him, that he loves him, that he approves of his sacrifice, that he will accept it forever, and that it is full, full, complete. It is fulfilled. Everything is now fulfilled in him. All of the righteousness, all of the innocence, all of the blessedness, all salvation, not one of your works, not one of your intentions, not anything you can do can supplement or add or subtract from the death of Christ. It is complete. It is full. It is finished. And Jesus now with full confidence and trust in the Father lays his blessed head down upon his chest 
and he gives up his spirit into the arms of his loving Father in heaven. And even as Jesus is still suffering in excruciating physical pain, he dies in peace, and he dies well, and he dies a good death. He dies the sweetest death, knowing that the Father is content with him, that he is not angry with him, and that he will receive him. He dies in peace. And so, dear saints, you keep this all in mind. When you sin, when you fail, when you suffer here in this life, and you keep this in mind even when you are dying. All of the pain and sorrow and suffering that you endure in this life is not even worthy to be compared to what Jesus suffered in those three hours on the cross. Jesus was forsaken, but you will never be. And yet, even while you suffer in this life, even when you die, you will not for a moment ever have to suffer like Jesus did in those three hours. But you will suffer like Jesus did in those final three minutes, knowing that the wrath of God is completed and is no longer pointed at you. It is satisfied. You may still be suffering pain and anguish even in your final moments but you will suffer with a good and clean conscience. You will suffer confidently knowing that Jesus will not let one of your sins, not one, ever hold you back from being in heaven with him forever because his blood covers them all and forgives you. You suffer joyfully knowing that God hears you that he will not forsake you, that he approves of Christ's sacrifice and that he looks upon you with favor. No matter what pain you experience in this life, what pain you are facing when dying, you will never suffer the pain of the Lord leaving you or forsaking you. But you will bow down your head in death just like the Lord Jesus did on the cross. And you too will die well. You will die a good death. You will die the sweetest death, knowing that God is not angry with you, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he will be there, that he is there to receive you into his arms forever. You die knowing that today you will be in paradise with him. Because of what Jesus did, you will pray in your final moment with your final breath. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and the Lord will answer you. Glory be to Jesus. God bless you this Good Friday. God bless you every day of your life and may he strengthen your faith in him until life everlasting. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.